Greetings from Long Island, where every highway is a sunrise. It's time for Dave's Gone By, an hour of comedy, talk, and music brought to you by Total Theater, with your host, Dave Lefkowitz. You've never heard anything like it, so sit back, relax, squeal if you must. Here's the host of Dave's Gone By, Dave! Tropical hot dog night! Like two flamingos in a fruit fight. <laughs> there goes the creepy, crazy, spooky neighborhood. It is time for something scarier than Dick Cheney, creepier than Jennifer Wilbanks, more terrifying than a close-up of Joan Rivers. Yes, it's the 147th episode of Dave's Gone By, one hour of comedy, talk radio, and music, hosted by the foolish and ghoulish, the silly and chilly, the hair-raising yet prematurely balding, David Lefkowitz, radio personality, journalist, humorist, and space oddity. And tonight's Dave's Gone By is a little odder than most, in honor of the upcoming Halloween holiday. We always go a little left of center on this show, seeking out guests and topics that aren't in the Entertainment Tonight Top 5 Countdown. In fact, if they had a Top 5,000 Countdown, we'd still be looking up from somewhere around 8,015. But that's what makes us different. That's what makes Dave's Gone By special. And by special, I do mean in the helmets and short bus way. Because let's face it, All people are a little odd. We're all goofy. We've got quirks and bizarre habits, secret fetishes, public tics, weird buttons that we don't even know can get pushed until we're standing there with a kitchen knife in the post office saying, You want some of this? But usually, it's good to be different. It's nice to be unique or eccentric. That's the most fun of all. Not dangerously show so, but we cherish our oddballs. We remember our kooks often more fondly than the bland, normal people we see a lot more often. And as I said, catch us in the right moment, or (laughs) the wrong moment, and there's an inner kook in all of us. Now, since 1929, one man has been paying special attention to the nuttiest of the nutty, the most outlandish of the Landish. His name was Robert Ripley, born Christmas Day, 1893, in Santa Rosa, California, a sports cartoonist and former athlete whose side interest in zany ended up making him an overnight sensation, and his name almost brand for stories about the weirdest, wackiest, wildest endeavors of human achievement. For example, did you know that Marshall, Texas, holds an annual festival dedicated to fire ants? Believe it or not. Did you hear about the Arizona man who built all the furniture in his house entirely from Federal Express packages? Believe it or not, in July 2005, the Car Crash Restaurant of Santiago, Chile, closed down because a car crashed into it. Believe it or not. And did you know that the first published cartoon of Charles M. Schultz was a 1937 drawing of his hunting dog, Spike. And that drawing appeared in Ripley's Believe It or Not. Thousands and thousands of tidbits, some cute, some funny, some 
draw-dropping collected for decades by Robert Ripley and later by the folks who saved and curated his empire. And we're going to talk to one of those lucky people tonight, Tim O'Brien, the Vice President of Publishing and Communications for Ripley Entertainment. Now, this is a man who has spent the better part of his life and career in oddities and amusements. So it should be a fun time chatting with Tim O'Brien about the whole Ripley's mystique and the man himself. You could list about ten things about Robert Ripley's life and put, believe it or not, after every one of them. So prepare to get ripped tonight on Dave's Gone By, where we will also have the news gone by, our look at current events, very Ripley-esque, the strange things people do in the news, and along with that, a strange, unfunny thing, another Saturday Night Live alumnus bites the dust. Do you realize that since it went on the air three decades ago, SNL has lost about half a dozen cast members, and not one of them to a ripe old age. Really creepy. And this one is every bit as gruesome as the others. Very apt for Halloween, in fact. So it's an evening of oddities, casualties, and verbal striptease, Rated DGB 13 for a somewhat mature audience, sponsored by Hewlett Minuteman Press, the kings of copies, by Performing Arts Insider, Theatre Magazine, the Bible of the Industry, and by MortgagesRock.com, the radicals of real estate. We will be back in a minute with Tim O'Brien of Ripley's Believe It or Not, You Better Believe It. Sunday nights at 7 on WGBB, Joe Salzone hosts a fast-paced hour of news and opinion, Worldview, which includes my theater segment, Broadview. Every Sunday at 7, it's Joe's Worldview, and welcome to it. What's playing on Broadway? I'll tell you what's playing on Broadway, and I'll do it by checking Performing Arts Insider. Off-Broadway, off-off-Broadway, off-off-off-Broadway. You keep adding offs, they'll keep adding listings. Who's in the cast? What's it about? Why is it special? Performing Arts Insider is Broadway the best way. 516-295-1511. 516-295-1511. Or see PerformingArtsInsider.com. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By, and I have a guest, a guest who represents thousands and thousands of other people who are even stranger and weirder than me. I know that's hard to believe, especially since I just got that grammatically wrong. It should be probably weirder than I. But um, as, as I chase myself into a grammatical rabbit hole here, let me pull myself out just in time to talk to Mr. Tim O'Brien, who is representing or is kind of the, uh, the spokesperson for and vice president of the Ripley's folks, the folks who do Ripley's Believe It or Not. They've got a, a big coffee table new book out, just you know, coming up in time for the holidays, called Ripley's Believe It or Not, Planet Eccentric, put out by Ripley's Publishing, and here's Tim O'Brien to tell us a bit about the book and what he does, and about all sorts of the weird things people do. If you take every book that came off the printing press with the Ripley label on it uh, through the years, piled it one on top of another, you would have a stack 200 times taller than the uh, Liberty Building. We've published over 200 different titles. Being 200 times taller than the Statue of Liberty—that's that's, that's a big—that's a big pile. Something for the terrorists to shoot for, that's for sure. But um, no, but, but okay. But what is special about this one? We, we kind of broke out of the mold. 
because, you know, if you remember going to school, the scholastic book fairs that they used to have at your school where you'd buy these little 99-cent Ripley books, mm-hmm. and they were hand, uh, you know, the hand-drawn pictures, the sketches. There was no photographs in them. Uh, it was all black and white. And those those stayed popular for years and years and years and years. And we had a few licenses that uh, came out and uh, published nice color photographic books through the years. But we've never done that ourselves. So last year, to celebrate our 75th anniversary, we wanted to go all out. And what we did uh, is publish a book. It was just called Ripley's Believe It or Not. That ended up on number five on the New York Times bestseller list. Wow. And we thought, you know, let's continue this. So this year, this one's even bigger and better. We it has an amazing a, cover, I should say. It's got oh, this isn't kind it of, fun? Um, uh, and it yeah. gives me a headache every time. <laughs> well, it's a holographic yeah. 3D cover. And, you know, what's funny, if you just look at it, hold it up to, to the front of your eyes, and then just kind of bend it down and bend it around, there's eyeballs inside of the cue balls. Yeah, and then you... Have on the front. And, you know, you lay the book down, and you can't walk out of the room without the eyeballs following. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, uh, so that's uh, it's very and, cool. And we have like 500 full color photographs in the book, uh, 250 some pages, and over 2,500 new believe it or not. Such as? Oh well, since you since you brought that up, I would say uh, let me. I'm just going to pick one out and read it. Let's see if it's kind of cool or not. Okay. Okay. Um, well, that's not any good. Uh, <laughs> no, oh, yeah, no, you said you've got to be random here. You said you're going to pick it out. Uh, Just put your finger and point. Okay, a big fish. This is in the all-consuming chapter. By swallowing 350 live minnows in under an hour, Shane Williams of Wonder Lake, Chicago, smashed the existing record of 280 set in 1998. All right, that's pretty cute. That's, that's, and uh, okay, here's a... Uh, Eating a hot dog in May 2004, Californian Olivier Chanis bit on something hard. When she began complaining of a metallic taste in her mouth, doctors discovered that she had swallowed a 9mm bullet. Whoa. Okay. By the way, you did have a Long Islander in there. You've got that Long Island eating competition winner. Um, I think he did the Nathan's thing. He's in there somewhere. Um, also, you've got Baked Bean Man. Oh, uh, Captain Beanie. Captain Be- Tell us about Captain Beanie, please. <laughs> Captain Beanie uh, is, is, is a man totally obsessed with baked beans. Uh, he actually had his name changed to um, Captain Beanie. And he considers himself a, uh, a superhero uh, representing the baked bean genre, I guess. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, he, he wears a baked bean suit. He has his Volkswagen car painted up like a baked bean. He eats <laughs> baked beans all the time. And, you know, and he, he complains that, uh, well, there's just not a lot of work for superheroes these days. The reason they can't hire him is they're afraid to be in the same elevator with him. <laughs> That's true. If all he's eating is baked beans, and let me tell you, my, my wife, God bless her, and, and she, she's on this wonderful... Very, it's like a diet, quote unquote, like the a really sensible diet with a lot of salads and fruit and stuff like that. But let me tell you, man, you know she doesn't even eat beans, but you don't want to get near her after a salad. So if you've got Captain Beanie running around, I don't know. I I, uh, I would like to meet him though. 
Do you have a contact for, for Captain Beanie? Maybe off the air. You can. You can. I, I would love to talk to Captain Beanie. Yeah, you might. You know, you you might learn a whole new diet for your wife. <laughs> oh, for me. <laughs> Dave's gone by listeners know I love a good play on words, but let me say a good word on plays. My plays, collected in a lovely book called Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World, comedies that range from strange to deranged, from sad to satirical, fun and unmistakably Dave. Just twenty dollars hardcover, twelve dollars soft. Put down that crappy bestseller and pick up some laughs. 516-295-1511 or davesgoneby.org for marriage, babies, and the end of the world. Hi, this is Tim O'Brien. I'm a vice president of Ripley's, believe it or not. And, you know, I listen to Dave's Gone By whenever I'm out on Long Island, and I know you are, too, because you're listening to WGBB Radio in Freeport, New York, believe it or not. Of all of the, the, the thousands and thousands of things that you have sifted through, what, what would be like your favorite or most memorable items of like, believe it or not, dot, dot, dot? Well, believe it or not, there's a gentleman from England, okay, who has carved in the last nine years a, a small miniature circus. And it's just awesome. I mean, it's... Uh, how anybody can carve little things like that, and it's it's a miniature it's a miniature circus. Is that the one that goes into the eye of a needle, or is it not quite no, that? that? No, that's not that one. Uh, this one is is huge. It's like on a you know it's like fifteen by twenty. It's got five hundred different pieces. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it was inspired by a circus that he uh, he he went to as a child. And again, this is under the totally obsessed chapter. Well, yeah. And, I mean, he even has a little working uh, cannon that shoots a mini human cannonball. Oh, and he's even, under his elephants, he's even got little elephant droppings. Wow! <laughs> well, you know, there was a famous artist. I saw a film about him that, that he directed in, like, 1961 or 60. It was either Calder or the other guy. I think it was Calder, who had made all these very miniature figures. And he would give a performance. His wife would play, like, a Victrola of... Um, circus music and old French music and he would be you know you'd see a trapeze artist this little tiny miniature swinging on the trapeze and it was designed so that when it jumped off the trapeze it would then knock over something almost like those Rube Goldberg contraptions it was absolutely wonderful does this ring any kind of bells to you? yeah we've uh, we've got a lot of miniature uh, stuff in all of our museums Uh, we've got uh in, in this book, we've got a picture of the Statue of Liberty that was hand-carved in the eye of a needle. Right. right. That's uh, in the book, actually. Yeah. And then uh, Enrico Ramos, one of our, our favorite artists that we uh, acquire items from uh, who lives in Mexico City, he has actually painted all, of, uh, all the president's uh, faces, uh, portraits, on miniature beams. Back to the uh, yeah. And so uh, people love that. And, you know, that's my favorite genre. It really is. I love the, the tiny concept things. of people doing things just because they can do it. I think, yeah. you know, like building a, uh, and we also featured in here, uh, we've got a guy that has made a roller coaster, a miniature roller coaster, out of a, uh, I'm not sure how many um, matchsticks. I think it's close to uh, a million and a half matchsticks. Uh, a small rolling, working roller coaster. 
Well, and the sad part is that six children have died on that roller coaster by now, so it's really, really unfortunate. Uh, on that Ooh. miniature one? Yeah, the, well, yeah, that joke just tanked. A little bit, okay. yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I see the pictures of the little guys he carved laying on the side. Uh, and then the... Uh, and we have we forgot our, to, to uh, make seatbelts out of matches. That was the problem. <laughs> right. And uh, we also show in here um, a wishing well. It's the um, a guy, a student by the name of Kate McGuire. Um, she took twenty-two thousand chicken wishbones and put them on a wall and created a, a big design. Oh, that's pretty. In London. It's like this big, round, circular thing with, like, the tails come out. It's, it's very... Yeah, again, that's also in the book. It's in the book, Ripley's Believe It or Not, Planet Eccentric. Yeah. And yeah. we are... Sorry, yes. And no, and, and all the way through, one thing that I really like is uh, we show little circular uh, globes. And then we have, like, Switzerland. Like, it is illegal to flush the toilet after 10 p.m. if you live in an apartment. Wow. That's the law in Switzerland. Smelliest country in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> and then and you can just flip through the pages and, uh, you know, find all these little silly things like uh, uh, USA, Minnesota. It is illegal to sleep naked. What? Yep, in Minnesota. I guess you'd freeze. <laughs> I, amazing. Um, yeah, it is. And... Uh, and, he, and what's for New York? Do you happen to know off the top of your head? Uh, I will keep looking as we talk. Uh, I don't have anything specific. Uh, it doesn't show up in our index, and we have these dropped all the way, all the way through. But, uh, you know, it's uh, like USA and Montana. It is illegal for married women to go fishing alone on Sundays and illegal for unmarried women to go fishing alone at all. <laughs> okay. Is that, is that code for lesbianism or something? I don't know. I, I think so. I think <laughs> USA, New Hampshire, you may not tap your feet, nod your head, or in any way keep time to the music in a tavern, restaurant, or cafe. And we have these wonderfully weird... Uh, and these laws are still on the books, or these were laws that were, or, or a combination of both? A combination of both. These are just weird laws, and I'm sure a lot of them have been repealed. Here, here's New Jersey. Oh. In, in Newark, it is illegal to sell ice cream after 6 p.m. unless a customer has a note from his doctor. <laughs> Wait, oh, my God. Considering what happened to Newark <laughs> in the 1970s, like, that's the least of Newark's problems. Oh, here's, oh. A, here's a good one. USA, Nebraska. In Waterloo, barbers are forbidden from eating onions between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. All right, now this, this makes sense to me. You know, I, I believe, okay, I'm good with it. Where's that? New, where was that? Uh, New Hampshire? Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, <laughs> live, live free uh, or, or die with stench, I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess. You don't want a barber with onion breath breathing. No. Oh, here's one. USA, New York. Citizens may not greet each other by putting one's thumb to their nose and wiggling the fingers. Yeah, New Yorkers have a very different finger grip for each other than that. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, one, one thing this book does, I think, more than, uh, than anything, Dave, is to show the eclectic eccentricity of uh, the Ripley collection. I mean, we don't only collect the, uh, the shrunken heads and the two-headed cows that everybody associates us with, but we have just a lot of really, really... And a lot of educational and historical things as well. 
And, and how would you, like, differentiate between, say, what you do and what the Guinness Book of World Records, say, does? Well, that's, that's real easy. We don't sanction world records. Uh, and let's say if, if somebody was going to set a world record by, I don't know, eating 900 hamburgers. I tried. I stopped after 15. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what we would do is, you know, well, where Guinness would publish the record, we would go after the person and we'd say, you know, here's this weird guy that really likes to do this kind of stuff. But you would document it, too. And you're not just well, taking it document. for, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so we're more interested in the act. We're more interested in what people do and how they react to things than we do the record that, or exactly what they do. I mean, it's it's more behind the, more behind what the person does. Okay, listen to me. No, I mean, listen to me on Compact Disc, where bunches of past episodes of Dave's Gone By are yours to hear over and over again. Comedy sketches like the Baghdad Elections and Handyman Yoni, visits with guests like Reckless Eric and Julie Haggerty, punchlines and politics in the news gone by, all just $12 a disc, shipping included. Visit davesgoneby.org or call 516-295-1511 for me on CD. Hi, this is Tim O'Brien. I'm Vice President of Communications for Ripley's Believe It or Not. And, believe it or not, you're listening to Days Gone By on WGBB Radio. We are talking with Tim O'Brien of Ripley's. He's Vice President of Ripley's Believe It or Not. And uh, he's here to talk about the book Planet Eccentric, the latest Ripley's edition, full color, lots and lots of weird and kooky and zany things that people do all around the country, all around the world. And one of the things that, that we were saying just before the break is that it's not just about the the act itself or, or the world record itself, but about the people who do these strange things and what they're really up to and what they're getting at. Which leads me to a question, though, of uh, is there a point where it can go too far? Like, like, what do you think of reality television and things like Fear Factor? Uh, that, that's that's another very good uh, uh, analogy, I guess, as to what we're doing. Um, yeah, I think we resemble fear factor to a point uh, because the things we do are often done by really trained individuals, uh, like breaking 73 bricks over somebody's head, something like this. Now, that is... That's being that's trained individuals who know what they're doing. Oh, jeez, I wish you had told me that. <laughs> and, uh, I put some I mean, people in the hospital. I thought, okay, you know, there's, a, there's probably an act to it. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Well, you know, uh, it's, it's, we, we don't want to do the jackass-type stunts that are like mm. on television. Uh, we do not condone that. We do not condone any, any hurting of animals. Good. Uh, like if somebody calls out and says they have a two-headed pig in their backyard, would you be interested in it? And we said, yeah, well, we will, yeah, down the line when it dies, but don't, you know, don't go out and kill it and stuff it and send it to us. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember the old Looney Tunes cartoon uh, where Daffy Duck uh, is on top of a mountain and sticks a stick of dynamite in his mouth, lights it, and does like... 15 flips and some beautiful dives off the mountain, explodes in midair, and pieces of him falls all around the professor standing there. And the professor looks at the camera and says, nice act, but you can only do it once. 
So, you know, we want to get away from those type of stunts as much as we want just weird things that people do. And we find out that, you know, just everyday living and the, the things people do in everyday life uh, can be a lot more fun to write about and to, uh, you know, to chat about than, than any act that's actually planned. Well, it's true. I mean, if you want to talk about things like believe it or not, I mean, can you believe that uh, President Bush nominated a Supreme Court justice who's never been a judge? See, when people do things like that. You have to believe it or not, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. But, but what are some of the more, like, um, for, for you personally, like some of the grossest and funniest things that you've ever encountered? <laughs> like there's there's a picture in the book, in the book Planet Eccentric, of this woman, uh, I guess from some tribe, I do not remember which. Her face is entirely painted. She's got, like, tattoos and beads and all these things, and her tongue is, there's a giant hole in the middle of it for a piercing. And, you, like, you see her finger going through the middle of her tongue. You know, yeah. as I was flipping through the book while I was eating, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for not putting, like, you know, those with weak stomachs, please, you know, skip pages X, Y, and Z. Until. Hey, that's a good point, yeah. But, no, but, like, are there any other really, like, um, you know, out there gross things that you're like, oh. oh one thing I think that bothers me the most that grosses me out you know, eating worms, yeah, I can understand that. I probably ate a few when I was a kid. Uh, but the things that really bother me are, are the uh, the piercings and some of the tattooing. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, it, there just seems to be no end to it. Like, look at page 112 if you've got the book in front of you. Uh, you know, here's, here's a man that has 230 piercings oh. on his face alone. <laughs> And he's considered the world's most pierced man. And you yeah. haven't even seen his scrotum. Let me tell you something. No, I... <laughs> you know, we, we stopped at his head in the photograph here. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and then, you know, just things that people do like that. That, 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 uh, that grosses me out. Uh, but we also have a picture in here of a, uh, a man that's got every Disney character ever created uh, tattooed onto his body. He's a real Disney file. Right, okay. So, uh, you know, again, obsessions, absolutely. Uh, totally weird, probably not. Somebody asked me uh, when, the first, when the book first came out, you know, are these people as weird in person as they appear to be? And they really aren't. I mean, some of these people uh, that you see with the, you know, that can drive spikes up their noses or swallow 15 swords at one time or anything, you know, dress them up and, you know, cover their tattoos, you would you would never know that they, they do this extreme stuff all the time. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I think it's a, it's a hobby for a lot of people, and a lot of people are just really totally obsessed with it, as, as we were talking about earlier. And speaking of people being ex- obsessed with this kind of stuff, why don't you tell us a little bit about the originator, the, the guy, Mr. Ripley? Oh, I can talk to you about Ripley. The talented Mr. Ripley, yes. He's amazing. Um, he came to New York in 1914. I went to work for the New York Globe as an illustrator. He had come from San Francisco at the urging of Jack London, the author, huh. uh, who told him, uh, go, go to New York. He, he went to New York, and his big goal all of his life was to be a professional baseball player. And he played sandlock and semi-pro ball on the West Coast. 
So when he came to New York, he actually tried out for the New York Giants, and he made the team as a pitcher. And in his first exhibition game he, that he pitched, he got hit by a foul ball or a hard drive ball, and it broke his arm. So, yeah. He should be playing for the New York Jets, actually. But, okay. <laughs> but that, that ended his uh, pitching career, so he went literally back to the drawing boards, worked for the New York Globe, illustrator for the sports department. And they didn't have photography in the papers in those days. So the illustrators were very important in creating graphics to break up the, uh, the copy blocks. So he one day just ran out of ideas. And he wanted to leave for the evening, so what he did was uh, pulled out, open a drawer. He always liked the, the weird stuff. So he had collected a list of what he had called uh, a list of dubious athletic achievements. <laughs> and he, like a guy running uh, backward from first base to second base, this type of stuff, and nine different ones. And so what he did is he combined those all into one panel of art, uh, wrote champs or chumps across the top, mm-hmm. threw it on his editor's desk, left, knowing he was going to catch Holy Hell the next morning for uh, doing something just totally different, just so he could get, a, get you know go home for the evening. He came in the next morning, and he was like he he created sliced bread. I mean, everybody said, "What a what a wonderful thing! What what a great advancement in illustration for publication." You know, this this guy was honored. People thought this was the coolest thing. And so he started doing it more often, and within the next couple of months, uh, they changed the name. We don't know if Ripley did it or his editor, but we, they changed it from Champs or Chumps, which only appeared once, uh, mm-hmm. to Believe It or Not. By 1929, he was syndicated regionally, but William Randolph Hearst grabbed him and said, hey, let's, uh, let's syndicate you nationally. And let's at the same time put out your first book. So in 1929, they put out the first, believe it or not, book. He started becoming syndicated and huge, huge household uh, name. 1936, the papers that uh, carried his column actually had a contest and found out that Ripley was voted as the most popular man in America, even wow. though he was the president. And people were sending him letters and notes, and the guy was, every time he would go off to collect in a different country, they would, the, the newsreel crews would be out there, and he went on a lecture circuit. 1934, at the Chicago World's Fair, he had his first museum, basically, and it was called the Ripley's Auditorium. And those have continued, I assume. Or they, they're still called the auditoriums, right? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. It's, it's, uh, we call them museums officially, but uh, we often refer to them as auditoriums, yeah. He would come back from one of the 200 and some world or countries that he traveled during his life with this wonderful tale, let's say like the shrunken head. Uh, and people say, yeah, right, a head the size of a fist. Yeah, believe, yeah I don't believe that. And uh, you're lying. So he had to start collecting and bringing things back to the country just to prove right, the fact yeah. that he was bringing back. And that's uh, the basis for his uh, exhibits and the museums that we have today. How long did he live? Well, he had a big radio career in the uh, 30s, early 40s, and then in 48 and 49 when television started uh, becoming more widespread. 
Fred, he was one of the first people to actually have a scheduled television show, a regularly scheduled wow. weekly television show. Do you have the and Kennys on this? Or do they still exist? Uh, some of them do. Uh, there are some kinescopes of the 1940s show. On his 13th show, he was doing a interview with the man who wrote Taps. You know, the da-da-da, when somebody dies, the Marines and the military oh. plays Taps. Uh-huh. He was standing there interviewing this guy, and Ripley dropped from a heart attack <laughs> and died within a couple of days. And so the and this was his thirteenth show. Oh my God! Well, yeah. And interviewing the, the guy from about Pat's, and he drops, and then they take him to Santa Rosa, California, his home, where he his his funeral services were held in a church made out of one log uh, from a sequoia tree. Then he was buried across the street in the Odd Fellows Cemetery. Oh. <laughs> so Ripley was, believe it or not, right to the very, to the very end of himself. That's right. Oh my gosh. Um, so, but how did his? He was a guy, and obviously had a lot of people working for him to collect all this stuff and to to run the auditoriums. How did it become a not a conglomerate, but a big sort of business where someone like he was vice president? Yeah. Well, what happened was that uh, uh, before he died, he had a business agent that had been with him for years who had produced his TV shows and his radio shows and had been with Ripley for a long time. This gentleman uh, bought everything right at auction. Uh, bought, it, bought the archives, bought all the collection. So basically he was able to keep Ripley, Inc. intact. Through the years, there was only like two or three different owners before uh, our particular company bought it in 1985. And uh, we've had it since, and we've been we've become great caretakers of it. You know, we have 52 attractions in 10 countries. Uh, we have a book publishing. We have the TV, uh, the Dean Cain uh, right, series right. just finished running. Uh, it's now syndicated to uh, the Sci-Fi Channel every Wednesday night. We're in final negotiations to create a uh, Hollywood movie based on Ripley's life. Uh, we're bringing back some radio shows. Then uh, in addition, like I said, we have the 52 different attractions. We have 27 of those are Ripley's Believe It or Not museums, and three of those are uh, under construction right now. What's the nearest one to uh, New York, do you know? Uh, Atlantic City. Oh, cool. And then Niagara Falls, Canada. Uh, up there. We'd love to be back on Times Square. Ripley had a, a Times Square uh, museum for several years and in the 30s and 40s. You know, in addition to our Believe It or Not museums, we have we have uh, three haunted houses. We have motion-based simulation. We have miniature golf courses. <laughs> we have two world-class aquariums, one in Myrtle Beach and one in... Uh, Tennessee. One of the nice things is that there's no way to delete the original purpose because there was the purpose was to just show humanity in all its weird and, and odd forms. Absolutely. So if you have like a, a golf course or, or a, an aquarium, it fits. Yeah. Absolutely, it fits, and you know, and that's what we do. We're not in the business of necessarily just scaring people or grossing people out. We're in the business of entertainment. 
I know, but I'm not sure you should, you should get into, like, the restaurant biz. I don't want to walk into a restaurant and say, oh, believe it or not, it's chicken. <laughs> Boy, could we have some fun with that? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Good idea. Hey, before I let you go, Tim O'Brien of yes, Ripley's Believe It or Not, have you ever done anything or are you ever capable of anything, any talent, any sort of weird hobby that may not make the book, but we might go, oh, well, believe it or not, Tim O'Brien does this. Great question. Uh, and that's probably, this is a family show, isn't it? <laughs> Not necessarily. I can blip. I can... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh. Uh, no, uh, Does it involve well, animals? Before, I, before yeah. I came to work for Ripley, uh, I was a senior editor uh, for a magazine called Amusement Business. And in that, I was a senior editor for 18 years for, a, uh, for the amusement park fair and carnival beat. Oh. And what I did was I specialized in theme parks and carnivals. And I uh, I got to go around to all the various, uh, you know, like the Oktoberfest and all the amusement parks and uh, ride the rides and do stories and get to know all the freaks and the sword swallowers. And so, you know, it was kind of like my uh, my resume was just perfect for this job. I visited over 600 uh, different amusement parks in 17 countries and rode nearly 500 different roller coasters. Ooh. So I guess that would be my my claim to oddness and weirdness and unusualness. It was a, it was a trade off, uh, you know, because I really had a good job before uh, with the with amusement business magazine, and I decided, you know, if I could ever, after eighteen to twenty years, if I could find another something to uh, change my life uh, and change my occupation during my midlife, I would go for it. And, well, after, you know, after you're 45, you don't want to ride that many roller coasters. No. <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely right. I feel much more at home carrying, a, you know, the world's largest hairball and a shrunken head under my arm than I do riding in the front seat of a roller coaster going wee. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been um, hoaxed or punked, like, like something sounded amazing, you checked it out and realized it wasn't real, or do people just not bother? They really are doing what they do. Well, we're 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 inundated uh, constantly. We're 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 more popular right now. The Ripley brand is probably stronger right now than it's ever been uh, since 1990. More popular than Jesus, in fact. Uh, we got into some trouble for saying that, but yeah, yeah. John Lennon did, didn't he? Yeah. He's the one who got in trouble. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, thanks for ruining the joke. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to do some editing on that. Okay. Um, <laughs> But no, it's because you get like more than you can even respond to, I assume. Yeah, we do. And uh, to, to answer your question directly, a couple weeks ago we got a really nice photograph of this um, this elderly woman standing next to a cow out in the middle of the field. And the lady said, now if you look at the cow's face very closely, you'll see that it's a photo, or excuse me, that it's, it's my grandmother's. Oh, my wow. grandmother has come back as a cow and has blessed me with her presence. And if you look real closely at the picture, you can see where somebody had photoshopped a, a, a oh. photograph of an older woman <laughs> on the face of the cow. And she, and we, you know, she kept calling and calling, and we finally responded to her saying, "Well, this is a total hoax." No, it isn't. I, you can come out here and see her right now if you want to. You know, on and on. But we didn't. We, we figured it was. That was almost too good to be out of. Actually, do you have her contact? I wouldn't mind having her on. The, actually, I probably would. 
I'll have the cow on. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a little bovine humor always helps, you know. Yeah, it helps move things along. Oh, that was uh, utterly uh, terrible. Uh, that was an utter delight. Hey, steal a joke four seconds after I say it? Come on, man. <laughs> anyway, Tim O'Brien. I'm not going to run this show, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, we are. Uh, oh, there you go. I'm David Downby with Tim O'Brien of Ripley's Believe It or Not, and you can get uh, Planet Eccentric from Ripley Publishing, pretty much all the bars and nobles, all the usual places. All right? the usual places, online, uh, all the all the book wholesalers, retailers, we got it. Fantastic. And, and we're very happy that we've got you in the neighborhood, Tim O'Brien. Best of luck with Ripley's and all the stuff you're doing and the book. Thanks so much. Hey, I appreciate it. Bye-bye now. I like my comedy loud! I like my music even louder! I like my bands live in the studio! I like Jimmy and Robin, Midnight Flagging from WGBB! And I love my cochlear implant! Sponsor me, games gone by, run your ad, folks will buy. If you want to reach the public, sponsor me. Advertise on this program for incredibly reasonable rates with long-term discounts. See prices at davesgoneby.org or call 516-295-1511. Sponsor me. If you're wise on Dave's Gone By, you'll advertise. If you want to be successful, sponsor me. My radio's on, the news is off, that's what it's good to relax. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By. It's time for the news gone by. If you dare. <laughs> oh, the hell with it. It's a look at world and local events in the past week from a perspective that always says, believe it or not. In environmental news, America is not alone in having ecosystem problems. Reuters reports that the Democratic Republic of Congo has seen its hippopotamus population shrink from nearly 30,000 hippos in 1974 to just 900 last year. Experts blame years of fighting in the region for the shortage, as well as poachers who sell the teeth on the black market. The dearth of hippopotami makes more of its prints than you think. Scientists tell us that hippo dung contains vital nutrients eaten by fish. Fewer hippos, fewer fish, more starvation. Spokesmen for both the government and the rebel armies in Kinshasa say they're aware of the problem and are trying to solve it by severely cutting down on people. Also, in environmental news, it's the question facing every country and community on Earth for the next thousand years. How to ensure enough fresh drinking water for a growing population. Scientists from Sandia National Laboratories are trying to answer that question with another kind of obvious question, if you think about it. What would it take to make salty or brackish water drinkable? Apparently that's been doable for a long time. It's just twice the cost of cleaning up fresh water. The good news is that it used to be ten times the cost, so they're definitely making progress in turning salty water into fresh. Now, if they could just find a way to deurinize swimming pools, well, they'd let me back in the Y again. Ah, uh, what would the news gone by be without a couple of stories from the New York Post's weird 
controversy has greeted a birth control ad campaign in Taiwan. The ad shows a nun in full habit, smiling and holding a condom, saying, although I don't need one, even I know. Catholic officials complained, of course, so the ad was pulled. It's going to be replaced by the more standard image of a Catholic priest holding a pack of Trojans and smiling at an altar boy. In Science News, how's this for an amazing story? I'm, I'm just going to read it pretty much verbatim from Reuters. An Australian man built up a 40,000-volt charge of static electricity as he walked. He left a trail of scorched carpet and molten plastic and forced firefighters to evacuate a building. Frank Clewer of Sydney was wearing a woolen shirt and synthetic nylon jacket, and he was oblivious to the growing electrical current that built up when his clothes rubbed together. So he walked into an office building, and then the electrical charge ignited the carpet. He said it sounded like a firecracker, and then the carpet started burning. Firefighters rang him, thinking that the scorch marks came from a power surge. Meanwhile, Mr. Kluwer returned to his car, where he noticed burning plastic on the floor. That's when he ran back to get the fireman, who then tested his clothes with a static electricity field meter. There were 40,000 volts coming off of him. Now that's just below the level where, I swear to God, he would have spontaneously combusted. The worst part is that between the wool shirt and the nylon jacket, the brown shoes did not go at all. And finally, in the news gone by, something not funny at all, but about someone who was funny, Charles Rocket, who was uh, born in August, or on August 24th, 1949, and he died October 7th, 2005, at age 56, by cutting his own throat in a field near his home. He was 56 years old. Now, who was Charles Rocket? You may not know the name, but you would know the face, probably. Not only because he's done countless short parts and recurring roles in various TV shows and the occasional movie, but he was actually on one of the most famous comedy TV programs of all time. He was a cast member of Saturday Night Live in, I think it was the 1980-1981 season. And that was, admittedly, the cast that critics were not particularly crazy about. It wasn't telling, I think it was one of the Dominion years, he was in a spoof about of all things Dallas, shows you how long this was, long, long ago this was. It was a Who Shot J.R. spoof. He apparently was playing J.R. Ewing, and then they shot him, and he said towards the very end of the sketch, Who the F shot me? Except he dropped the whole F-bomb, not just the letter, and within a couple of weeks, he was fired. A couple of other cast members were actually let go, too, including Gilbert Gottfried, of all people. You know, it, took, it took him a while to become the really famous comedian we, we know now, but um, Rocket apparently took a long, long time to get over being dismissed by SNL, and maybe never quite got over it, although it was almost 25 years between his getting fired from that job and his taking his own life. But as uh, Chris France, one of the original Talking Heads members and, and a friend of Rocket, said, he had some pretty big disappointments in his life. Obviously, Rocket never did become famous or a big-name star, and, I don't know, maybe under different circumstances, he could have been. You know, he was a pretty good-looking guy. He had those preppy sort of features, and he could play like a businessman or a car salesman or those 
kinds of roles and, and do them quite well. But I, I don't want to talk so much about Rocket or what he did or why he did it as to the hypocrisy of television. I mean, again, here's this man. He lets slip this stupid thing at about 12.30 in the morning on a supposedly free and satirical TV show. One little word, and it ruins his career, gets him fired. Meanwhile, looking back on it, it's, it's almost like the Lenny Bruce thing all over again. One stupid little word that we've all heard a million times before. Um, I mean, compare that to, let's say, South Park, where two or three years ago they had that episode where everybody was saying the S word because they were getting away with it, and they figured, well, what, what could be so terrible? So everybody says it a million times, and it really almost does cause the end of the world. So they realize, well, they ought to use it sparingly. But still, Comedy Central didn't blip the word. You know, they had the characters actually saying it on, you know, pay cable. It wasn't family cable, but it wasn't like pay-per-view. The full word, all four letters, with a little counter on the screen, counting the times that the characters would say the word. You know, and the tote ran up to over 500. And even as recently as a couple of weeks ago, when they ran the Martin Scorsese Bob Dylan documentary on public TV, you know, they had some F-bombs in there, too. And you know, just the world didn't collapse. Nobody complained. It was okay. Granted, public television, but hey, they've, I'm sure, been feeling the heat because they're as reliant on government funding more so than certainly the commercial networks like Channel 2, 7, and NBC, Channel 4. And I guess we also need to remember that Saturday Night Live wants to come off as this bastion of satire and creativity, but it's still network television. I mean, remember... Elvis Costello in those early years when he was doing one song and then he decided to switch to Radio Radio and Lorne Michaels and the gang just cut him off in the middle and said, oh, you're not, you're not doing that. You're going to do the song that we expected you to do because you know, my television is scary and you have to plan it out to a T. And when someone switches gears, it does throw you into panic mode. But still, you know, it's supposed to be a hip, cool, anything-can-happen show and Costello didn't curse or anything. He just changed songs, and boom, they were off. And I don't think Costello was on American TV for almost a decade after that. They still, I think to this day, have not run the rerun the Sinead O'Connor episode, or at least the moment when she tore up that picture of the Pope. And so anyway, it bothers me, of course, the hypocrisy and the fickleness of Hollywood. And to be fair... Let's not assume that Rocket would have been a big breakout star, even if he hadn't said that word. As I said, the, that year was not a big one for Saturday Night Live, and not every SNL cast member becomes Eddie Murphy or gets a big movie deal. At this point, there has been too many of them. Even Garrett Morris, who had the name recognition back then from being on the very first cast, I mean, he did not become Joe Piscopo. Um, so, you know, I just hope that... Charlie Rocket is now in a place where words don't matter so much, where one combination of letters has the same weight or lack of weight as any other. And let's hope there's no FCC in the afterlife, because let's face it, King Solomon with all those wives, King David in all those wars, Noah coping with all those animals, Jesus, and the pain that he suffered. If these guys earn anything in this world, it's the right to go up to heaven and swear like goddamn sailors. And that's the news gone by for October 27, 2005. Please send your comments, opinions, and self-destructing rockets to...
days gone by. Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-0062. That's days gone by. P.O. Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-0062. You know, I've been getting more and more emails from people, the occasional letter or postcard, and I love it. Even the criticisms, even the, I'm not crazy about that, because it means people are listening. They're getting involved in the program. They're sitting through the boring parts, laughing at the good parts, letting me do what I want to do on the radio week after week. There's an F word I have for that. It's fabulous. No, wait, that's too gay. How about fantastic? No, wait, fabulous works. Either one. And either way, it would be fabulous to hear more from all of you. Dave's gone by at AOL.com. That's D-A-V as in Victor, E-S. Dave's gone by at AOL.com. Our address and a bunch more information is also at the website, davesgoneby.org. So if you like the show, spread the word, spread the love, and spread your love our way. Email, snail mail, voicemail, single white mail, Send, send, send. But please, no bulldozers. I turn those down flat. And that was new. If that was new. That was very, very, very special new. Okay, so your business proposal has been typed, proofread, photoshopped, and given a nice cover. Now, all you need is 20 spiral-bound copies and a thousand printings of your latest brochure. Your Xerox can't do it. Your mailroom can't do it. Hewlett Minuteman Press can do it all. Your one-stop printing shop, Minuteman, 1315 Broadway in Hewlett. Open six days a week, 10% off for Dave's Dog by listeners. Family-owned Minuteman. Their service can't be duplicated. Are we scared yet? Are we scared yet? Are we scared yet? No? Well, I hope you were entertained and amused, at least, on this pre-Halloween episode of Dave's Gone By. Special thanks to Tim O'Brien of Ripley Entertainment for all his factoids and funtoids from Planet Eccentric. If you need a gift for the holidays, especially for young teenagers or the special weirdo in your life, Ripley's Planet Eccentric on sale now. Also on sale now is the November issue of Performing Arts Insider. Visit PerformingArtsInsider.com and get yourself a subscription to this wonderful theater magazine. If you have any kind of printing or copy job, the place to go is Hewlett Minuteman Press, 1315 Broadway in Hewlett. And if you've been hanging back and watching the real estate market go absolutely crazy, and you've been wondering... Am I missing the boat? How do I get into this business? Not by selling my house necessarily, but by making other people's dreams come true. MortgagesRock.com will tell you how. If you can network, if you can find people ready to make that big purchase, MortgagesRock.com will help you help them. A mortgage leader since 1979, MortgagesRock.com, making money never sounded so good. And speaking of good sounds, wanted to let you know that Dustin Ehrlich, an old friend and visitor to the neighborhood last year, will be playing at Seho, 113 Ludlow Street, Saturday night, the 29th, at 8 o'clock. Visit DustinEhrlich.com for more info on that. Special thanks to my beloved wife, Joyce, for all her love and support. Special thanks to every single person listening. And I do want to apologize for last week. 
we had a pre-recorded show that was on mini-disc. That's the format we use. It was somewhere betwixt the cup and the brim, the disc and the deck, the sound and the fury. We had technical difficulties, and the show could not air. Program director and engineer Tom Ross had to throw on a last-minute repeat instead, which means that the special Jewish holiday episode of Dave's Gone By, with Rabbi Saul Solomon interviewing Mike Burstyn and Jewish novelty singer Jeff Janning, did not air. But don't worry, we're now going to air the program next Thursday, November 3rd. It's going to push our schedule back a little bit, but trust me, it's worth it. So 7 p.m. next Thursday, November 3rd, better late than never, it's a rabbinical romp on Dave's Gone By. Until then, don't miss your days going by. This is Dave Lefkowitz. Good night, Captain Beanie, wherever you are, and gone by. Come on.